doesn't matter what it is that's what the inference going to be like the, the, the old story or like the example of the the duck that the first thing it sees is a person and thinks it's his mother and it follows it around like you know there's a truth to that within humans it's not that extreme but there's there's an importing of inference and our most basic inference is social as social beings comes from the faith and so this whole generation of, of children they they haven't seen that during this very very key developmental period and so the question i wonder is and i try to look at this from a really really from a broad perspective is like well what what's the impact what's what, what what's going to be the impact on those human beings on those children and i don't necessarily mean that in a like they're going to be damned like that sort of thing because that that assumes that I'm comparing their future to be similar to the the life I experienced. But I know that's not going to be true. I know that that 10 years from now is going to look so friggin' different from right now. So it's going to look so different. We don't know what it's going to look. And that's half the fun of this is because I think we're creating we don't have to it doesn't have to be the the story that's being created. But that human being that still has not been quote unquote properly conditioned for the facial like you know that facial socialization something else has happened with it there there something else is going on and how does that meet the new world and how would that lead it the new world in a way which is immensely harmonious so that's that's kind of how i approach it but i'm being i think we need to be very honest with what's going on mystic mike mark is that you yes it's me how many channels am i coming through on all channels it's loud and clear uh my... I, th I think that's it i think we have to remember you have to call me right my audio might be a little different today i'm gonna make some adjustments while we're talking but for the for the people eavesdropping just uh, just know this is a temporary difference in the sound quality. I just moved into my new place. I sent you that picture last night of my bookshelf. Were you impressed? Were you underwhelmed? What do you think? Well, uh, a couple of things. First is, if you could turn your volume up just a little bit, I'd appreciate that. Okay. That sounds good. And the, the, the truth is, for... Most of the time, <laughs> that's not a truth. Pictures are always going to underwhelm the actual the actual thing that they're photographing. They can't capture it. There's no way a, a, a picture can capture something. But that being said, I was impressed. I was impressed by what you showed me, the organization of your books, your, your flavor to style, your living place. I enjoyed looking at it. Right on. Yeah, I'm excited to, to be here. being in there? It feels great. I, I like the I like the place. As much as I resisted it a little bit at first, you know, I always resist new things, changes, that kind of thing. But I, I've yeah, I've eased into it and I enjoy it. You know, my my kitchen is, is only five feet away, which means my cup of coffee is 
you know, even closer to my desk. A lot of good things. Nice big windows, no longer in a basement with a big clunky loud furnace. So uh, that in itself. So okay, so let's start from let's start from the very beginning. Your apartment is in what type of a building? Is it an apartment building? Is it a house? Is it a garage? Is it a trailer? Like where? where yeah, where somewhere somewhere place? in between a, a a building and a house. It's like a a triplex or whatever you call it. It's a triplex. Okay, and so then you have two other neighbors sharing the same foundation, more or less, correct? Five. So five. Yeah, six okay. six tupleplex. So so what you mean by that? There's that many units or that many people who live in the building. Units. Okay. All right. And then uh, what's it kind of look like? Like, what's the feel of the outside? Is it like, is it a converted a house from like the 1800s, which you see a lot in the, in the, in New England area? Or was it a more of a modern built structure specifically for multi, multi-use housing? Yeah. I would say it's, it's like uh post-modern, you know, not modern, not like modern, Nowadays, but definitely like modern right. in the eighties or the seventies, nineties. Gotcha. You know, very, very prefab, right. typical, typical look for the area, gotcha. but not a colonial. No, no, we're not that highfalutin yet. How about parking? How's your parking? Fine. Are there are is there a lot or is it street? It's not street, which is great. So yeah, we're fine. All right, that's good to hear. And then uh, you said you got laundry. We got a laundry, we got a river next door, which is sort of a marsh. We've got a pizza place next door on the other side, a firehouse, a lot, a lot's going on. You can walk to a lot. Can you walk to nature? Do you have any views of nature anywhere? Yeah, Tara's walked to the beach a couple times since we've been here. We're not too far from the beach. We're, you know, it's probably like a 15 minute walk or so, but yeah, it's, it's beautiful. That sounds fantastic. We're near, really we're near the, the Housatonic River, which we've talked about a couple times in this. Right. Before. Well, that is, this is, this is definitely a, an occasion for congratulations. Thank you. I feel like, you know, literally leveling up, you know, we're in the basement. Is this the first subterranean. place you've had in your, is this the first place you've had in your name? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Technically. Yeah. I mean, well, I did a month. Yes, well, that's that's fantastic. That's a big like. I mean, it's like it's 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 a marker of something you haven't done before in a certain level of responsibility. I mean, it's it's. I'm not necessarily saying get something in your name and for the system, but then what it represents. Like that's a big deal. So good for you. Like Thank it represents a growth in all areas. Thank you. And that you get to go and see unfold. And you've been in there for two nights now so far. Yeah, a couple more nights than that. About a half a week now. Anything weird going on? <laughs> Depends on... Any weird neighbors? Any ghosts? Specters? Anything worthy to share with us on this show? No no weird neighbors. Everybody seems normal. Um, but definitely, right. definitely a strange sense at night in the wee hours. But I've never been one to see ghosts or anything. I just maybe am spooking myself because... Yeah, last night when Tara fell asleep, my eyes were starting to, you know, feel like, you know, I wear contacts. So if I wear them for too long, I'll start to have to rub my eyes. They'll start to irritate me. So I can't quite tell if I'm seeing 
my contact lenses being like blurred by the light or if there are ghosts. I don't know. Because <laughs> uh, I'll see little things moving moving in the darkness every now and then and it'll spook me. But I was also listening to a particularly spooky podcast last night. I just had these two guys on the show a couple weeks ago. The episode came out today when we're recording on Monday, April 4th. But yeah, they, they talk about all sorts of mysteries and paranormal things. And, and they're <laughs> unlike, actually, you know what? It's very similar, the parallels to what's happened with you, with the various things that people have sent you, mysterious people have sent you things in the mail. They received... That they've had a very similar experiences? Yes, they've, they've had... So this, this can take up a whole conversation, but I'll give you the footnotes, all right? Yeah, so, give me the footnotes. Talk me through the footnotes. I'm intrigued. So I'm, I'm listening to this last night. This is, this is the spooky atmosphere that I'm talking about. So Hollow Sky... Is that the name of the podcast, or that's how you describe your apartment? That's how I'm describing the apartment just last night. Just, just okay. last night. Not, not, just last night. Yeah, okay. just last night. So... Uh, Hollow Sky podcast is the name of the podcast, Hollow Sky, and spelled H-O-L-O, like holographic. So I guess these guys have been doing their show for three or so years now, and they have like a voicemail box, they have, you know, their P.O. box, and they like to investigate different mysteries. You know, they're not the type of show like My, My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, where I have guests on. They just sort of pick a topic and talk about it, and people will send them emails about weird things that have happened to them, and they'll they'll talk about it, right? So, what's your general attitude? Is it like a, is it like a skeptic? Is it like a, an enthusiast? Is it how do they how do they approach their their areas of of, of engagement? I think they're they're like they're like fearless believers because like they they kind of put themselves in the middle of it sometimes. That's the sense oh, I'm I love getting. it. I I that that's my favorite. That's my favorite. So and and that that's a good way to you know set the stage for what I'm about to tell you that happened to them. So whether it was through a suggestion from their audience member or just through their own digging, I'm not exactly sure. But they came across this flyer from a group called Egress Industries. Have you ever heard of Egress Industries, Mike? Egress? E-G-R-I-S? E-G-R-E-S. E-S. No, but it doesn't sound, it sounds like it should be from like a book or a movie. Mm. Right. And uh, they come across this flyer and I'm, I'm finding, I'm going through my transcript right now. Why is the Egress, why is the Egress Industries, but like if you're in the industry, if you're a company who ends with industries, you don't put out flyers. That's just kind of <laughs> like the, 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 the local, the... <laughs> go on. I, I'm sorry. Don't be too... No, it's all right. So this is what the, the flyer says. It says, one second. I just want to make sure I'm getting the right part of this because I have the transcript that I use to edit the podcast, you know, edit ums and ahs. So I just want to make sure I'm reading from the right part because they told me what the flyer said in our episode, but there's nowhere else that I could find this flyer online other than this transcript. So let's see. All right. Hold on. I'm finding it. Take your time. 
I'll, I'll put a little flag in this so when I'm editing, I'll just edit out the silent part. We'll put like a little swoop sound effect. Okay, here it is. So the particular flyer says, Strange, see something, say something. If you remember things differently from how it was, have ever found repeating numbers or words and experienced deja vu or miracles, know the existence of greater entities, good or bad, have had luck of any kind or hear voices that will never be real, see things that should not be, have a distrust of mirrors, drawn to caverns, if so, please contact, and it leaves a number. This is what this this guy finds on the internet, a flyer that says, and I'm, I'm reading a transcript, so it's not exactly what the flyer says. It's like what the computer thinks that my guest said during this recording, so that it might be a little off, but what do you think of that? Have you ever seen anything like that, a flyer recruiting people who've experienced weird, strange things? So, okay, all right. So I need to know what you mean by a flyer on the internet. Like, Like, what is that? An image, an image of a flyer that somebody found in person and took a picture of it and put it on Reddit. Gotcha. And this flyer Uh, was found in Austin, Texas. In Austin, Texas. Right. And it had a Uh, phone number on it that led to a number in Europe. Is it a recent photograph? Like, is is this timely? Is this from like years ago? Like, what is it? It seems reference to talk. It seems like it was within the past five years. I don't. I don't remember. I should have asked them when the Reddit post was posted, but no, I I don't know. But it sounds it sounds timely. Yes. What about and you did not see the image, correct? No. And so they're describing a picture of a flyer from an egress unit. So, so that's a that. <laughs> I mean, assuming any of that is is not just a setup. It's if that was really po- like if the person who took the picture and put it on Reddit was not the same person who created the the the, the flyer itself, right? Like that's what I mean by like a setup. So let's assume they're different people. That flyer is like that's a that's that's a fishing trap of something. A fish, whether that what whoever is trying to lure people in i don't know but it's definitely it's speaking all the right language right like it's going to resonate with a very certain person who understands reality a very certain way right right would and you would you call them if you saw that <laughs> that's i love that you asked me that because that's exactly how i posed it in the intro to my podcast with them in the little intro segment that I, I like, would you call, have you called, you know, that sort of thing. But no, I, I would. Yeah. I, they got a voicemail and they sent me the recording of what the voicemail sounds like. Do you want me to play it? Yeah. Okay. That might also take a second, but bear with me. Yeah, this was, this was quite a conversation. I, I felt nervous enough about the subject to not spell egress industries correctly in the podcast like i put a hyphen where there was no hyphen because they didn't they've never put 
an episode out with the the word Egress Industries in it. I noticed that. And they, they just sort of put vague episode titles out. And they'll they'll name it. They'll talk about it in the episode. It's not like COVID where they're like, don't say COVID. This is going to be on YouTube. But, but yeah, the, I was like, eh, well, I don't want to mess around with this because it got to the point where, and maybe I'm jumping the boat here a little bit or jumping the shark here a little bit, but got to the point where they had like harassing emails and harassing phone calls. And some of it they found out was just a listener of the show who was trying to prank them, you know, and, and like saw what was happening and thought they could get a laugh. But the other, there was other parts of it that were still to this day unverified. But I have the, the voicemail ready if you want to hear it. All right, let me hear it. All right. There's music in the background that was post-produced by me. They didn't send it to me like this. Oh, hold on. Let me just make sure it's coming through my mixer. It's kind of a creepy thing, but if you notice, there's sort of like a European accent to the person speaking who left this recording. So I'll play it right now. Thank you for calling Eversy in the city. Your call is very valuable to us. We apologize if we currently do not have any available agents at this time. Please leave a detailed description and your birth date and time of your witness event up to the time. Our agents will try to contact you to select you. Do not be alarmed. Thank you. <laughs> Can you hear that? Do we were able to make that out? Yes. <laughs> what do you think? I know what I think. I want to hear what, 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 what's your opinion, and I'll tell you my opinion. Well, going back to what I said about the spooky feeling last night, like that's why I emphasize, like it's not the apartment, it's what I was doing last night, editing this episode, listening to this, thinking about this. You know, the apartment, other than the one... Go ahead. Go on. I was going to say, other than the one corner that I've decorated, it's like... You know, it's all white walls at this point. So I, I do think there's something to that optical illusion of like all the same color where, you know, maybe that could have played tricks on me. But with the the <laughs> the track of the hollow sky going in the background, it definitely set that spooky atmosphere. But yeah, no, I'm I was a little worried, especially knowing what I know they said about what's happened since like they they used a burner phone to call this number and then how it connects to what I said initially about how they receive something in the mail. They receive a, a USB drive in the mail from Switzerland. No note other than a little like message that said, uh, you know, one USB drive, you know, almost like an inventory statement. And then on the USB drive was a sort of a message and a, and a song. And they were saying like, Hello, we're a group that studies the Mandela effect, and we've been listening to your podcast. We, you know, we remember your podcast having a different intro song. We included that intro song in the message, and then they played the intro song, and it was not the same intro song that they use or have ever used, according to them. Is is that? And that they're they're suspicious how, how that is, that's is, connected to Egress Industries only from the the speculation about the maybe other things, but like the phone number being a European number, the voice being a European sort of accent, and then the 
package coming from Europe, that's where, and by Europe, I mean specifically Switzerland. Zurich, uh, Switzerland. Do you hear me? Yes. Okay, good. So how did they first get, how did they first get uh, exposed to that Reddit post? Did they discover it themselves? Did someone send it to them? Like, how did it begin? That, like I said uh, initially, I'm almost certain they just stumbled upon it on on Reddit, but I could be wrong. You know, like I said, they do All receive right. a lot of stuff from their listeners. But but yeah, once they called the number, and they, I guess they got a uh, call back and and had a, a dialogue with somebody about certain things that, you know, like I said, I had this conversation weeks ago, but. What about what did you think about the sound of the that that recording? Like, what was your what was your what was your sense listening to that? Like, it was purposely made to sound just like that. Like, well, outside of the music that I put behind it, like just oh, listen. Put, I thought the music was part of it. No, 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 no. Okay, that, so yeah. that, that was not all right. So, Because I'm calling you on my phone, I can't play the uh, original clip. Gotcha. You know, but so, this okay. is, I post-produced it into the podcast so people could hear it before they hear the interview. So that's the music track behind it that, that I use for the intro segment. Okay. But, the, but the voice is like grovelly almost to a point where it seems like the they're using some sort of filter to, to yeah, their voice. I, I, definitely so. And... Did they say it was apologetic? Like, I'm sorry, we can't do this. Something like that, correct? That was the posture of the right. attack? Right, and, and you know, Steve and Kyle, who are the names of the hosts of Hollow Sky, Steve said that he felt like the ad, the flyer that was asking, you know, those questions that I read off was sort of catering to somebody who was experiencing, like, symptoms of schizophrenia or even you know just actually experience something strange right so he almost felt like that was a part of the they were they were like trying to find certain individuals who are maybe more uh, susceptible to believing things that you know maybe that this group would then implant on them or however and then also you know using them as a podcast to broadcast that message out to more people you know Right. What, what? 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 You don't have the transcript in front of you anymore, where it describes. It. Yeah, it's right here. Let me hear what they the what what they said or like the. Have you? I can actually. I think I could just play it, and you'll be able to hear it. I'd like to go what line by line, and I want to stop and discuss. Okay. Hold on one second. Let me just get to the exact sentence. Very, it's it's a very unorganized transcript, so give me a second. Okay. Strange, see something, say something. If you remember things differently. Slow, slowly. Strange, then a comma. Or, oh, you, oh, so you're reading transcripts. You don't know what it actually says. So, okay. Yeah, I'm, so I'm reading something. like what they've spoken. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So now, so, so I'm going to take it a little bit with a grain of salt, the actual word. Right. So see something, say something. See something, say something. If you remember things differently from how it was, 
Have you ever found repeating numbers or words? Have ever experienced deja vu or miracles? Question mark. Know the existence of any greater entities? Have good, bad, or any luck of any kind? Hear voices that will never be real? See things that should not be? Have a trust, have a distrust of mirrors or drawn to caverns? Question mark. Please contact. And then there's a number that's left out under that. Yeah. So I would imagine that's written like like I said originally. They don't know what they're going to get. They're going to get a couple different people. So it's going to be like possibly someone who is delusional. So schizophrenic. I don't like using that word at all because there's something around that topic which is very, very. And I'm not certain to what degree, but but. I'm quite certain that there's cover up and there's misdirection in there. But I, what I will say is delusional. So delusional is the inability to recognize, to at least recognize demarcations from internal realities and external realities. So there could be people who are delusional. It's going to appeal to someone who is going to be like, oh, what the heck is this? I'm going to call this. This sounds interesting and exciting. Like that's a certain quality of person. Like I would imagine Mark around eight, 19 years old, if you were to see that, him and his buddies would call that right away, right? <laughs> yes. All right. And then the last is probably someone who sits somewhere in between who, who is like, yeah, of course, I, I, I see patterns and, and I know they're higher entities and I hear voices and, and I'm curious about what this is about. That's what I think is primarily what it's what it's there for. Have you ever seen or heard of the documentary called, I think it's called The Institute? No. So it's a documentary, but it, it's kind of confusing to explain because you don't know what's real and what's not real. Like you can't tell if the, the documentary is a joke or not. Okay. And it's based upon, or the documentary's premise is that it's based upon an actual ARG, alternative reality game, that was run in San Francisco in the early 2000s. And the documentary kind of like follows how from this ARG, like something that it's been a while since I've seen this, but from the ARG, it, there, like something strange happened, like someone really did go missing. Or like somehow like something bizarre happened from what was always set up as like an art installation slash a goof. But it sounds just like this. So in that movie, so you can go pull up its Wikipedia page. It was 2012 is when it came out. Um, it was run by this thing. It was the, I think it was the J. June Institute. Mm -hmm. J. J. E. And that had a very like, it was positioned almost identical to what you're just describing to me. Like, it kind of has this official sounding name and it may have been European sounding and there was a voicemail if you called it and it was something, it was very much like this. It was, all, it was, it was very, very similar to this. Now, what exactly that is, whether this is like a couple people who are replicating that, like like parroting, being silly, whether or not that whole, what, what the Institute points to was always like, you know, always part of a deeper, a deeper play. I don't know, but that's what it sounds like to me. It, it's almost a perfect match. Uh, it's a very close match to the Institute. And that's a great game in terms of, 
are a great documentary in terms of seeing how ARGs can create when there's a coordinated when there's a coordinated effort outside of someone's world where they don't realize that people are coordinating and they are doing things together, it can go and, and whether make someone go crazy or at least make them reach a different sense of what's actually happening in reality. I would, whether or not that, that PDF file, or, or not the PDF, the, uh, the, the, the drive file, the thumb, the thumb drive that was sent, I mean, that's a real kind of, that's a, that's a definition of a mind fuck, whether it's authentic or not. But when you say to someone, we are doing research on the Mandela effect, particularly if you know the person you're talking to knows what the Mandela effect is, and then says, we have a recording from your, of your podcast from a long ago, and you're not doing this, 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 this anymore, this, the sound, and you listen to it, and you're like, oh my God, I've never done that. Are they in a different reality? I mean, it's like, that's the sort of way how it gets in people's heads. Right. And that's, that's a lot what that movie was about as well. So that's why I was asking the question. I was like, well, how did they first get introduced to the flyer? Did they find that on their own? Right. Yeah. And I think they, I think they did. And I could be very wrong, but. But that would make it even more interesting. So I would definitely recommend like, uh, you'd love that doc, that documentary. Yeah. I'm looking at the, the Wikipedia right now. It's like he said, uh, there's like a sort of uh, metal sign and it has a number on it. I assume this is maybe kind of the same, serves the same function in the. Right. You, you were supposed to call that and then you would get a really strange voice, just like what you, what you showed. And it was like, immediately go downstairs. There's a payphone on the corner of 1714 and go there and call. And like, the person would run down. They're kind of like, is this real? Is this not? But I'm going to go along with it. Right. Right. And it is, it's like an interesting image. It's almost like an orange license plate. And it's the only image on both Wikipedia pages about the J. June Institute and the Institute film. Just sort of. But the question, which, which at least I have after, after seeing that. Can I add a level of, of. Oh yeah, go right ahead. It, the Institute was released on my birthday in 2013. In 2013? On my birthday, which would have been the birthday that I was in my sophomore year of college, right before I, or freshman year of college. Yeah, and well, yeah, sophomore too. Yeah, so sophomore year of college, and I was just about to drop out. <laughs> huh. That is interesting. Yeah. Take on life, you know, get, I abandoned, uh, normal society in my mind. I said, I'm not going to put my faith in the system. I'm not going to put my faith in college. I'm going to put my faith in myself. But yeah, given what we talked about last time with skull and bones, like I was kind of taking myself back to that time period in my mind. And that's exactly when this film came out. That's wild. <laughs> Why? On my birthday, nonetheless. So, so I would be curious to see, like, I mean, one, it's an interesting thing that 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 movie, but but see what happens with these guys. Ask them if they've seen it. Right. Well, yeah. And then I, the question, and then the question becomes, is like, what was that movie? Was that movie part of like that's how you introduce the idea? Like, oh, there, there. 
the world is so like I'll give you an example of like like the whole Q movement. Right? Mm-hmm. You know what the Q movement is, right? Of course. How and where did that begin? And like I'm not I'm not trying to actually solve that question. Like, I mean that's that's more rhetorical. It's like how was that inserted into the collective consciousness and how it was positioned in such a way that it really hit like a lot of it it hit a lot of people in blind spots. And what I mean by that is they, they can't fully see exactly what it is. But it seems really, really like interesting or authentic or true or something along those lines. There's 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 enough plausible deniability or plausible like this is real sort of sort of thing. And the way the institute positions itself as a as an idea and a concept, and I would say even MK Ultra falls into it. I would say they're all kind of fall into it. Like it it's it's a really kind of slippery it's a slippery place to to put your mental energy because you just don't know what it is you don't know you can't ever see exactly what it is right which i think is a really good which is a really good segue unless you have something more to say about that to bringing up, you know, what we've talked about a bunch over the past couple episodes and the, the Hoffman and Shelby Downer. Yeah, no, let's let's get into it. I recently got the the envelope in the mail from Mr. Hoffman. That episode will be out the following week from when this episode comes out on uh, Monday the 8th. So if we go back to the very, if we go back to the beginning of, of let's say the invitation I had to speak at the Masonic event. We go back in time there, even further than that, when I was talking about like a lot of the things which I receive in, like I actually have received in the mail and there's certain, you can go in and kind of listen to our conversation and you might be able to hear my thought process, which is almost, I'm doing exactly what, I was describing what's so difficult to do with I use the Q movement or that 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 documentary, the institute, which is okay, this could be something, this could be nothing. What is this? Let me look at this from as many perspectives. And what I think I'm a pretty good judge at is being able to recognize like where something could where that blind spot is, like you know, where this where this could have gotten, where, where maybe something trickery could get, could be introduced into, into the, to the scope. And we talked about Downard and Hoffman a couple weeks ago. I think it was, it was last week or two weeks ago when we were talking about the St. Petersburg thing. And that's where I get, where I find it very interesting because to the best of my knowledge, like the the timeliness of the St. Petersburg connection to Downard and that Hoffman story, and then me going to St. Petersburg at the same time, where it's not like a normal part of my my routine, like that was that was seemingly really kind of that was interesting. And then where I'm going with all this is the envelope is the envelope you received and then the conversation which you had 
you had after um, speaking with Mr. Hoffman. And on that envelope were two stamps, which both had significant meaning to both you and I. Mm. You, you with the one with the chair, like you said, hey, did you see that chair? That's a, that, this chair, and this chair means this. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And then me with the Edgar Allan Poe, because I've been talking about Edgar Allan Poe in Baltimore. And so the mm-hmm. question I have and where, where I want to go with this is like, what, what do you think? Like a week earlier, we talked about like the fact like who or what is Hoffman and this organization and where are they coming from? And then you have this like great conversation. And then we're like, yeah, it was like, oh, this guy's great. He was like sweet. He was like my grandfather. But except for the fact that the, the stamps that came with the mail for a guy who, who sweats every single detail and who updates his, his, his Wikipedia page over a hundred times in one month. Like I can't imagine that these stamps are happenstance. <laughs> well, there were two, there were two other stamps too. There were I, two identical stamps, uh, a pair of like grape leaves on a, or grapes on a vine, which could maybe be the Connecticut state seal because that's on our period. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, they were white stamps, so maybe they didn't come through so well in the picture. But, but yeah, yeah. There, there were four stamps in total. Which I remember when we talked last, you were like, add up all the, you know, add up the, the amount. And Edgar Allan Poe stamp had the number forty-two on it, I believe. But I don't think that's a forty-two cent stamp. Okay, and then then the the other three stamps were. Five cents and four cents. The Chippendale cent was four cents. Or the, the Chippendale so stamp. 14 plus, stamp. 40, 14 plus 42, so that's 56. Mm hmm. All right. So are you in front of your computer? Yeah. Uh, just type in first class postage. How much is first class, first class postage? I have no idea. Let's see. Should be 56 cents. He did it on the nose. 58 cents. 58 cents? Maybe I did my math wrong. I did my math wrong. 42 plus 18. Did you say 18? Four? No, two five, two five cent stamps and a four, or two four cent stamps and a five? Two five and a four. So 14 plus 42, that's 50 cents, right? Let me find the envelope. Added over here somewhere. Anyways, maybe the Chippendale chair was stamp was worth more. But yeah, I only found out about that Chippendale thing recently. That was a uh, that was like a Freemasonry revealed video that talked about that and how how they they do these sex rituals on the on the Chippendale chair. Hmm. Didn't we once talk about about that one video from a while ago? Yes. Yeah, that's why that's... I sent it to you. That I thought that was going to ring a bell. Now that you're reminding me, yeah. I didn't realize the chair that the man that that the woman was dancing with. I don't think that's a chair. If I recall from that video, there's an old man and he's sitting like the guy in the center looks more like a throne. It'll make more sense. Maybe she was dancing on that. I don't know. But that would make sense, like, that that would be the style of chair in which 
in which a ritual would take place. So it's a fancy chair. Yeah, it's very, very interesting looking. But yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I assume that he, yeah, he must have put 58 cents since that's what this says. So maybe it was, maybe it was, maybe it was more and I'm just misremembering. But It must be. I'm just like looking at all those things. Yeah. It really, it really, it really, because you and I talked on the show, Edgar Allan Poe, and we talked about him and we talked about all of these sort of things. And, and there was, there, there, there's an undeniable reflection or like similar, we keep on seeing these synchronicities, right? Right. Like uh, that, that, that's a pretty, in my opinion, in my book, that would mark rather, rather high because he didn't have to send you anything, did he? No, no, I didn't ask no, him. He, didn't. he just was uh, grateful for the but advice I gave him. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. All right. So we got you gotta keep us up, updated on that. Have you released that show? It'll be out on the eighth, so a couple days after this one comes out. Days. And that should be good. Keep, is there anything else about the envelope or the letter which you wanted to talk about? Did I did I say eighth? I meant eleventh, a week from today. But but no, outside of outside of the you know, the feeling of like, oh wow, like I take one guy's word for it and I get all nervous about it. And then, you know, you can't, you really can't judge a book by its cover. And I should have expected it with his sort of, with his sort of content that, that maybe a group like the ADL or whoever else would want to give people a bad impression of him. Cause he does talk about, you know, he has a book about when whites were slaves. So I think obviously that would be most likely the the most controversial book. I thought it was the sort of Jew World Order thing, but he really doesn't he doesn't talk about that all that much outside of the the Hasidic black magic stuff that I talked to you about. Mm-hmm. And then and then also just getting the impression because you know the same day that I had uh, the conversation with Michael Hoffman. A friend of mine who I do that show Illuminati Confirmed, the Illuminati Confirmed podcast with, he had a podcast that he did with a a guy who I won't, you know, name uh, on the record, but, you know, they are not going to air it because it ended up just being like, yeah, the Jews run the world. And he just ended up sounding like a really big racist, you know, and and I talked to Juan about it. I'm like, yeah, well, what do you expect? Like, this is a, this is what is this sort of downside of being in a fringe community of thought is that there are people who take things to an extreme, you know, and it's one thing when it's flat earth and you're not really offending anybody and you're an extreme flat earther, which I'm, you know, I like flat earthers. I think they have a lot of good points. I have nothing against what they believe, but when it comes to like, Oh yeah, one group of people, you know, you, you know, the whole thing. So I just, I was kind of, seeing the parallels there too with like you know Juan and I do that show do a show together every so often and you know here I am thinking you know I'm gonna maybe not be able to release this episode with Michael Hoffman and quite the contrary he was a a wonderful person you know just at least by all appearances I mean you can only can only uh say so much about someone from a one to two hour conversation no, but but no, yeah. The impression I got from him was that he had no, no bad feelings at all for any group of people. 
And uh, he's really just concerned about how conspiracy theorists sort of are not productive. He's like, well, it's sort of turning into like a, a type of voyeurism instead of an actual type of activism, which is what it should be. Mm. So that was that was sort of my, Michael's sort of controversial point, if you want to call it that, because I have heard people say like, oh, this is the guy that doesn't like conspiracy theorists. It's like, well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> he is one, you know, but he's just sort of has a high standard for, you know, what somebody does and what they say and that sort of thing. Well, there is, there's, there's certainly a lot of truth in that. Like, you know, there, there is such a thing as conspiratainment, right? Yeah, I think yeah. I've been, I've been a part of those shows plenty of times. <laughs> so, so have I, like, I know how, and, but, but what I, I'm in total agreement with, with Hoffman as it relates to that this information, the exposure of this information, or at least the possibility of this being, of like some of these conspiracies being true, it should move someone to action and not inaction. Right. And, and now what exactly that action is, now that's going to be unique, I think, from each perspective and each person and all sorts of stuff like that. But, uh, well, and Tripoli, Sam Tripoli talks about it a lot lately. I mean, him and I are working on a sort of side project together that goes along with his spiritual podcast zero and and he says it all the time you know it's like that this stuff is stealing your louche you know and eventually people who get into conspiracies end up getting into spirituality or vice versa because you realize that that's really what it's about i think michael hoffman's kind of saying that in a much more acute way maybe even I, a more I, accurate I would way say that's exactly what i'm saying as well right like all like that that is the truth is when you begin to recognize that there's an interconnectedness that goes beyond that goes beyond what you can see and there's also trickery <laughs> so it's like you know the navigating it right you got to stay in uh, your karate stance or, or in a way in a way that's a really that's a really good a really good metaphor yeah always and i i got that from tripoli he he says that he's like when we're doing these open-minded conversations he's like i'm taking it all in karate stance you know like i'm seeing what's coming and, and I'm, I'm not believing everything that i hear but you know sort of and i think that's a good way to approach life is like with that awareness of like not you know not violence or even self-defense but just like uh responsive action in the in the now and being being aware of what's actually like you said like the difference before when you talked about sort of delusion like the difference between your internal reality and your external reality I think that's a big part of being in that stance. Well, is is discernment. So at least the stuff which really is interesting me, interesting to me right now, is is really getting into this idea of being. Like, what does that mean? We hear people use that word a lot, like being, as opposed to doing, but being, and. For the most part, it's been my experience listening to people talk and they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They're just like parroting like some ideas which they don't really understand 
because when I begin to ask questions, I'm like, well, what does that mean? Can you walk me through that? And it's not in a challenging perspective. It's like, I want to understand this from as many angles and from many experiences as possible. And one of the areas which I have, one of the, the tools, if you will, that I, that I have found personally to be immensely significant into this art, this it's it's a practice of living art uh, life artfully. That's what I would say being is, and, and your description of 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 being in the now is obviously fits into it as well. But it gets very very specific what it means. But there's this book, and I'm pretty certain I've mentioned it on the show before, and it's called The Principles of the Effortless Power. And it's more or less an internal an internal kung fu book. You know, it's very very practical, but it's it's written for more of the esoteric student kung fu who want to understand like more of the inner techniques, the literal techniques on how to carry your body. And he's writing it all about about how to be in a in a let's say a a, a, con, a fight scenario. But the book is 100% true on like how to meet life. And it very much teaches the posture. It's all about principles. And you have to go and build your, re, re-establish your relationship with what it feels like to hold your body along these principles. But once you do, and you keep going back to it, like it, it changes everything. And I think that's a metaphor. So I'm leading all that up to, can I walk you through can I walk you through the first three of the principles? Please. The posture. This is the literal posture. This is the literal posture that if you don't do this, you're never going to, you, you can't be. Okay. But it's written about fighting. It's written about everything. So this, and it's such a great, it's such, it's, it's so simple and it makes so much sense, particularly if you've studied other ways of, of like looking at the internal world, because you'll see that how, 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 how much this complements it. So the first step is calm the mind. The mind. How do you calm your mind, Mark? Or do you calm your mind? Do you have techniques? You know, lately, I can't remember the last time, but it, it's it's breathing. I remember when I was younger, that was something that I really set out to to understand the difference between you know my mind thoughts and 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 just being present in the moment and not 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 thinking you know because i think that's a big thing that people think is meditation is like oh you're just not thinking it's like no 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 calming the mind is more but no 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 no. So you're you're one hundred percent. Lately, right. no, no, Mike. Unfortunately, I have not had the most calm. A calm mind is immensely. It can be immensely difficult, and we don't we don't as a culture regularly remind ourselves to practice that. You could, you could, because it's not like that hard. It's just like it's 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 like a reminder. It's like like if. So everyone I needs to have like quick and simple ways to calm your mind. It's like you're not in deep meditation. It's like, can you calm your mind while we're just like talking right now? Or when you take a moment, I usually do for me, what makes what I have like a visual, like I picture 
inside my head, I like to shut my eyes and I picture the, the, the surface of a lake. And I try to imagine like that's what I'm looking at and seeing it without a ripple. And when I do that, all of this stuff in my mind kind of like is turned down. Like the act of doing that, that, that thing for me turns down the volume inside my head. It calms it. Or at least it redu- it, it calms it more than it was before. Like it doesn't necessarily spill it, but it calms it. Okay. All right. So you do that. Step two, relax the body. So if you're standing up or however you're, what you are, like relax the body doesn't mean lie down. In fact, I think it's easier to feel relaxing the body when you're standing up because you're going to go and um, like hold, hold your body in such a way that there's no muscular tension. And so most of us don't realize when we are, that we hold muscular tension. And most of it comes from bad physical posture because we are not stacked. Our joints aren't stacked on top of each other. Our knees aren't stacked on top of our, our, our ankles and our hips stacked on top of that, like all the way up. Because when you're stacked, when you move, when you move from that level of, of the body being stacked upon itself, there is less need for uh, muscular tension to hold your body upright because you can allow the natural force of gravity to just kind of do its job. And then, so you stack and then you feel yourself like it should be, your muscles should be loose, should have the minimal amount of any sort of, of, of muscular tension to be able to stay. I find myself, I often hold a lot of, of like weight, which I could let sink down all the way to the ground. I'm holding it in my knees. Like, I think I'm relaxed and I kind of work down from like shoulder, just in my mind, just checking in like shoulders, hips, then down to knees. I'm like, Oh, there's something in my knees. And then I, I can relax a little bit. And then you feel a little bit heavier on your feet. And that's what it feels like to me to go through this process of relaxing the body. So what do you do? You first expend a moment and you calm the mind. You calm it as much as you can because you're right. You're not going to stop the mind. You're going to calm the mind, turning it down. Then you relax the body because a calm mind cannot have a tense body and a tense body cannot have a calm mind. If you want to get them, there could be a little bit of a lag after you calm, you know, you have the calm mind, but your body's still tense, but you want to go from one to the other. And then lastly, once you've done that, you're like, okay, this is what that feels like. I'm checking inside. My mind is calmer. My, 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 my body, is, I'm not holding tension in the muscles. And I'm moving around in, in a way which, which is ergonomically correct. That's stacking. And then lastly is I put my awareness on my center, on my heart, right? The area beneath the navel, the place which all the, martial arts talk about where you should move from and you should wear keep your awareness from but it's also what we know from like the neuro the neurologist is the stomach is the second part of the body after the brain which has the highest concentration of neurons it's literally your second brain so what you're doing is once you've relaxed the, the thinking mind and you've relaxed and calmed the physical body you're bringing your awareness to that part that other your second brain which responds very, very differently. And I'll describe that as when you can move from that posture and you have to keep going back to 
to develop the muscle to hold it. Like that's what it looks like when you are being, you're moving from that, that posture. You can't not be being if you are in that posture. Right. So that I'm here. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm taken into what you're saying. I'm visualizing it. Yeah. And so how does that tie into what we were talking about before? Like, you know, with, with the conspiracy theorists and the action and all that other sort of stuff. And like, how do you deal with all of, all of the information and kind of make sense with it? I mean, to me, that's, that's been really here in Baltimore. A lot of the work, which I've been going inside and focused on is strengthening that being in the, in the world to find your way through it. As opposed to trying to think everything out and all that sort of stuff. Right. And that's, that's sort of, I think like the, the maddening part for some of it is like when you, when you learn about synchronicities, you're like maybe too aware. You're becoming like hyper aware of these things and it might become unproductive in the sense that like, did you, did you just fall down the stairs? What just happened there? <laughs> Could you hear that? Yeah. I was grabbing some crackers. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, no. <laughs> I was trying to muffle it. And I guess the muffling came out that way. So, okay, so go on. So you're talking about like the, 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 uh, well, when people you first become aware or start thinking about interconnectivity in life. Right, AKA right. AKA synchronicity. Right. And, it can be, I think, unproductive if you're, if you're not able to or not aware that, you know, it's not really about thinking it through so much as it is just following through and acting from that place of, of being like you're describing, you know, from your center. You know, people get too focused. And I'm speaking from my, my own point of view. I, I remember being too focused on you know, what might happen, what could happen, things of that nature, you know, and, and that's, that's your thinking mind, you know, that's this mind that wants to, wants to sort everything out ahead of time, you know, acting out of fear, out of anxiety. A boogeyman. Right. All things about boogeyman, like the entire, this entire culture is about creating boogeymans for every single person to be fearful of what could possibly happen. Like every scenario that meets everyone everywhere, whether it's like never going to get a job or, or there's a serial killer on the loose or I'm afraid I'm going to get like the virus. Like it's all about boogeyman. Right. That is it. That's what the, that's, that's, you know, the whole, we talked about this before the, 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 what's it called? Wizard of Oz. You know, it's the, the wizard is just a boogeyman. You realize oh, that guy wasn't a scary guy at all. So that is true. And we talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about this, this, this synchro mystic downward spiral with James Shelby Downard and where it will pull you into it. It will pull like by reading it, it will condition the mind to be a certain way that you're looking. It's almost like the, the, the flyer that you sent. Like the flyer that you sent, at least you know what you're getting into. It's like, okay, are you interested in this, 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 and this? If you read a J, if what percentage of the population would you say has ever read a James Shelby Downer? Let's say one percent, right? Like a small percentage, right? 
that 1% would answer yes to those questions on those slides. <laughs> right? Like, why else are you reading it? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is, like, I was talking about before this James Shelby Downing thing. Like, it's the same thing. And it, it pulls you through this thing. It pulls you through an experience, a maddening experience. You have to go, you have to, so let's go talk about schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is like one of the worst words which we could go and label someone in regular culture. Like if you call someone schizophrenic, like that's, that's like, uh, it, you, you'd be rather, you would rather be on the autistic scale than be on the schizophrenic scale. Like the general person was like, well, which would you rather be in? Like, you know, that's kind of how it is. Like it's, it's, you don't want to be crazy like that. We've so conditioned that. That's why I'm like, I think there's more there to it. When you go through the, you have to go through a schizophrenic process and not in the way they call schizophrenic, a schizophrenic in the, the layers of reality have to get jumbled for a moment. And the danger is you don't come out. And that's probably a real danger because there are some probably real people who like were not able to walk themselves through it. They, they, they got lost in the wilderness. But part of it is you have to get lost in the wilderness because when you come, when you come out the other side, you have an experience. You have an experience that you've actually had and a knowledge which which helps you kind of, you know, what I would call would be the fourth step. I'd say the fourth and the fifth step of that, of that posture. So I described the first three steps, right? You practice those, you, you, it's almost like a karate kid where, where the karate kid was like learning how to wax on and wax off. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I've seen okay. the karate kid. So wax on, wax off. You're like, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this over and over again? I'm not getting anywhere. I'm here because I want to learn. I, w I want to win this tournament, Mr. Miyagi. Like that's kind of like the, the where, where, where in the movie you, you meet Danny LaRusso and Mr. Miyagi and like the learning to wax on and wax off. And then Mr. Miyagi goes and shows you're learning something else. And that's what those first three steps are. That's just karate kid wax on, wax off. Like it is rote practice because if you're not practicing doing this, your body is practiced for something else. We all have bad habits. We all have bad habits on how to not control our mind. Like literally television is, is, is the ultimate, is the ultimate toy or tool for creating short attention spans and inability to focus, uh, you know, multitask and all this sort of stuff. So we, de we develop a, a level of discipline with those first three steps. But then once you go through that, what, I, what I'm just kind of generally calling that downward shell, that Shelby Downard sort of vortex, and it doesn't have to be specifically with that, but there has to be a point where it gets all mixed up. Then you could add the next two layers and the, the, in the five-point posture. And the fourth one is you then bring your awareness to your chest. You bring your awareness to your chest, and that's where you open to receive, and that's where you begin to listen. And you just go there, and you know that you're listening. What you're listening to, well, you know, that might meet, you, you'd label it based upon your, your, your value system. You could call it God. You could call it universe, but it's the most high, the creator, 
whatever whatever that kind of con- high level of high level being which is beyond you know at the highest level of this mystery like that's where you connect and then the fifth spot is you bring your awareness back up into your head space like literally into your skull and you put as much as you can if you have this ability bring your awareness to the back of the skull and not the front of the skull the front of the skull is where all of our our uh, ego processing all of our processing which shows how we're individual you know that all exists there if you can be adept with developing your posture to then bring your awareness to the back of the skull, which is more, I mean, you could say the subconscious is lower down on the, on the brainstem, but it, it doesn't matter. You want to get away from like these other places. That's the part of your brain, which all of the, is connected to all the stuff we call subconscious. You know, that's the, that's where the synchronicity that when, when you could go through those five practices and hold it and you know how to get to that note. And you know how to hold that note. It's not a hard thing to hold other than discipline. You know, that's, that's how we meet. That's how we meet all of the, you know, what's on the other side, this, this life which we're living. So that being said, it's funny because I think I've spent so much of my time in the past, really the past two months being here in Baltimore, slowing down to a level which I have not slowed down to. Like, I mean, we, we joke about it. Like, this is, we're reclaiming the mental institution. We're reclaiming the asylum. This is... This is uh, a place for asylum seekers of, of a culture gone mad with the Tico. And all it is is a place where there's no pressure to do anything. And you begin to realize, like, when you come here, you feel this pressure, and you're like, well, that's not a real pressure. It's just what I've been conditioned. And that's kind of like this, this process of releasing from the systems which, which, which living in the modern world is you're part of it, yet, which I would say anyone who's got a phone is part of, you know, we're affected by it. So these last two months, I've been really slowing down my role to a more, to a pace which I have not experienced before. And where I'm finding myself is almost the opposite. Now I'm like, all right, now I'm ready to get back to work. Like now I want to, like, now I, like not necessarily hectic. But whereas I spent my time with doing very, very little, though I felt like a lot was happening, like moving through that, now I'm ready to go and re-engage with a a very noticeable uh, resurgence of energy. And a big part of it is, is these practices. And it's a different feeling. It's a totally different feeling than, than, feeling hectic that you need to do all of this stuff because you're all hectic like that. It's more so like, all right, this is all the stuff, which, which it's not even like doing. It's like, I'm just, this is, this is, I'm, this is what I am to be. Like I, I said it that way because I didn't want to use the word do because it is action oriented, but it's, it's, it's in a very, very different, it's in a different way right now than I've experienced it before. And that's part of this process, or at least that's what I've experienced by witnessing it and going through it. Well, it's spring. Here we are, Mike. I mean, I can feel it too. I feel that same sort of action. Tara and I are ready to 
dig into the Connecticut mystery, the, the Connecticut River mysteries, whatever that may be, for our own particular area. And what a coincidence that the apartment we move into is right next to a little a little river here. Exactly. Like it's it's the, the, that's one of the that's one of the so the state of being is the ability to recognize synchronicity of action and do and to not get like all excited or freaked out or anything, but you're recognizing that there is uh, there is a not only an interconnectedness, but there's a safety net. There's 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 a guide which which is seemingly working. Whatever the hell this is, you know, whatever the mystery of life is, like the 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 boogeyman doesn't exist, and in fact, the opposite is completely true. There may be tricksters along the way, and there's still stuff you got to do. But it's always it's it's when you can get into that right when you can hold that note, you experience very very clearly that it's always taken care of, and like exactly your next step is already everything else is aligned for you to take that. The river's right next to your apartment. You've been you've been looking for this apartment for as long as I've I've known you. It's true. That is true. And uh, recently, I did that walking tour, which we talked about. And uh, my buddy Jay, he wants to do more of an in depth sort of take on it. He's like, "Hey, I, I was looking at the footage I got for for that walking tour we did, and I was thinking we should do." a full length documentary instead of just like a 10, 20 minute video. So that's sort of the next side project that I might be working on soon. Well, that sounds exciting. So I've got this, uh, I've got this thing going on in April 23rd and 24th. It's in Pittsburgh. It's Pittsburgh decoded. I'm not putting it on. Mm. Uh, I just watched that latest from the 40th parallel. You and Ross sitting at that picnic table. We're special guests. These guys, like the two guys in Pittsburgh, Kufu and John, I believe their names are, they are giving tours and they're giving lectures. And so we've been invited to to participate, if you will. But where, and all I'm going to do is I'll give like one a one hour lecture at the, uh, on one of the days there. It's mostly there. It's definitely all their show. But it's turning out to be, I started the research today. And it's turning to be a little bit bigger of a skull and bones storyline than I would have anticipated. Really? Really? <laughs> so, and I'm glad we're, we're having this conversation because I did want to include you in this documentary. Maybe we'll even take a trip down to Maryland and do something down there. But yeah, let's hear it if you're willing. Well, <laughs> I, I, I apologize because it's so such poor form to be eating crackers while doing a podcast. <laughs> well, you just got to be what you got to be. You know, the sound is going to be all over the place for this episode. Fantastic. So, Don't worry about it. It's, it's, it's really early on in the research, but I have a pretty good idea where I'm going to go with this. And it has to do with the manipulation of housing because I've got two things that go through Pittsburgh. One is this guy, Richard King Mellon, who is like the richest guy in the world, according to, the, you know, top the fortune. Fortune 400, where they have the richest people. When they first started that in the 50s, this was the guy who was at the top. Very, very influential. 
and he began the whole urban urban redevelopment movement, more or less moving poor people out of the city in the 1950s and 60s. He was his driving arm behind that. He was Pittsburgh, obviously, part of the Carnegie and Mellon family. And then it goes to this other guy. If you're familiar with the general idea which goes behind gentrification of any urban area. And it's, you know, it's as simple as like follow the gate. That's what it was used to said like in the early 2000s. So wherever there would be a high concentration of particularly gay men or, or, or lesbian women where they would live in cities, they're usually turned out in five, 10 years later that there'd be a renaissance in that area. They would have shops and art galleries and stuff like that. So, that whole idea came from a guy who's from Pittsburgh who wrote about it. He, he called it the, the creative class. He wrote about it pretty heavily in the early 2000s, socioeconomic theory. And, and it's all about housing. It's all about manipulating housing. So I'm, I'm, I'm going into Pittsburgh because that's really of interest to me. Like how do we live? Like how have we been defined? Like what housing looks like? What is housing for humans? And I see that there's this, this, this connection there in Pittsburgh. So I want to go through there. And I've been looking a little bit deeper into those starting points that I just described you. And we just keep on bumping up against guys and skull and bones. So that's why mm. <laughs> I say like it's going to be a little bit more skull and bones than I anticipated. Well, if you take a look at, at New Haven, home of Skull and Bones, it is extremely, it's a great case for what you just described. I mean, the, you know, they talk about how when the interstates were built, they sort of planned them in a way to divide up cities so that we would have, you know, prosperous areas and less fortunate areas, right? For maybe those are soft terms we can use. But in New Haven, you mean literally I-95 North goes between Fairhaven and East Rock, East Rock being like the home of Yale professors and, you know, all the different like expensive housing that some of the post-grad, you know, students are living in or maybe people who are just part of the sort of city uh, of Yale culture. And then Fairhaven, which is like like I described, very impoverished, just, you know, right on the other side of the underpass. You, It's, you know, night and day. And then the same thing with the Merritt Parkway, which is sort of like a less, you know, it's a, what do they call it, a passenger highway or something like that, parkway. And same thing, you know, just divides the, the nice side of town with the, the not so nice side of town. Hmm. So that's that's what I'm going to go and, and, and talk about on in April. So I'm excited about that. And it's funny that you were talk that you were discussing about your plans of 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 the, of the Connecticut River mysteries with the spring and summer of Para because I'm getting ready. I'm going to write the rights of Leakin Park down here in Baltimore, and I think okay. I'm going to start doing more of those like going to places and learning the learning the mysteries and then writing the ritual. And what is the ritual? How to connect with the land. That's it. And so I'm excited for that. And then today, which is exciting, which which I am really 
which which I really thought was kind of interesting. So I keep track of all the animals that I could see out here. Okay. What did you see? So, I mean, since I've been here, so like, you know, the type of birds, the cardinals, the, the, the blue jays, uh, woodpeckers, there's a groundhog, which I see regularly. There are two foxes I see regularly. There are five deer, which I see regularly. So those are, the, there's a heron, which I see regularly. There's some geese I see regularly. Or I see regularly, like probably every day, every other day. But it's slowly been beginning that I, I've, I've been seeing this bald eagle. Okay. Bald eagle in the, in the city of, of, of Baltimore, in this park. And I started talking about it, and no one else freaking sees it. Because we, we all kind of point out whenever we see the animals, we talk about it. And I saw, so usually it just soars. And what's nice about being at this elevation is you're kind of at the height of, of some of the soaring because a lot of the birds, they travel along the path of the river. You get to see that in this really interesting way. And that's typically what the eagle has done. It's just flown one way. I think once I saw it circle, but nothing more than that. But today, this morning when I was out here, it perched on the tree directly in front of me. I mean, it's, it's far. It's probably like 75 feet away, but it's in a straight line. Of, and so I got to go and, and see the eagle. Have I ever told you the, the mushroom experience I had where I what saw a that? bald eagle? No, tell me your mushroom experience. So... And it's, it's funny you bring this up because recently Tara and I saw a bald eagle. I stopped for lunch at this place on Lake Zor, which is the Housatonic River. They just built a dam and created a lake. But it's the same thing, same body of water, similar to the Chesapeake Bay, Susquehanna thing. So we see a bald eagle as we're sitting there, and then a guy is talking about... While I'm waiting for my hamburger to be finished, this guy, I guess he's like a, either a bald eagle watcher or something. So I was just kind of getting all this inside information from this guy who's very up to date on what the uh, eagle situation is like in Connecticut. You know, their whereabouts. And he was talking about how there's a nest in this town and this town. And I started texting Tara all the things he's saying, like, hey, Tara, listen to this, you know, she's sitting in the car. But yeah, one one day it was uh, it was like 2015, about that range of time. And me and a bunch of people I had been working with at that time, we did like a extra like a work sort of event with all the other sort of branches of this group that I worked for called uh, Citizens Campaign for the Environment. So you can imagine, you know, we're all going up to this campground. It's basically a bunch of hippies, you know, just a bunch of people fresh out of college and high school who are, you know, between the ages of 21 and, and 20, you know, 30 that are in doing this sort of not the best job. You know, you're just kind of going from house to house. It's sort of like an in-between job, you know. But a bunch of us were up there and me and my friends brought some, allegedly brought some mushrooms with us. And, and we all sort of did this like group hike, you know, shared amongst maybe 20, 30 people, this big bag of mushrooms. And we all had a, our fair share. And I sort of was walking at the lead of the group and we're going through this marshy area. We come around a corner 
And as I turned this corner, 10 feet away from me on a tree that had been uh, hit by lightning or knocked over in the wind or something, it was just like a big, very tall tree stump, you know, it had been halved almost, right? There were no branches. It was just a trunk that had been halved like 15 feet up in the air. And this bald eagle is perched right there, like I said, 10 10 feet, maybe two yards away from me and sees us as a group. And I kind of got a, a really long look at it. But when it saw how many of us there were, it, it took off. And if you've never seen a bald eagle up close, like when they jump to, to take off, they're so big and massive and heavy. It almost looks like they're falling and they do these like big, huge thrusts of their wings like this. I don't know if this was a female or a male. I'm not, you know. I'm not an orthologist. I forget what the proper term for a bird scientist is, but but yeah, it was really it was really astounding how heavy and massive this animal was. But then once it got its sort of wind under its wings, it was able to just launch itself over the trees. Hmm. Wow. That was in upstate New York, sort of near Rome, New York. It's kind of on the other side of the Catskill Mountains. Right, right, right. That's quite a story. But yeah, so you see this eagle. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, <laughs> didn't mean to overshadow the, the story here. I just love bald eagles. Yeah, and so what's interesting is when you see it on a regular basis from your from where you you're living, is the relationship is different. Right. I was hoping I was going to see it while I was talking on the phone with you, but I have not seen it yet. Are you sitting outside this whole time? Yeah, the whole time. So for folks who haven't checked out the YouTube video, that picnic table area, is that like, uh, what is that? Like at the at the bottom of the property that you're on? or is That's that... exactly right. That's at the bottom. Because I noticed the, the, in the beginning that there was like a camera shot and it looked like someone was up on a ridge above you guys. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. I can kind of that's, that's where picture it in my mind now What when you're saying like you're kind of on an elevation and, and the river's down below you. That's really neat. Mark, I'm telling you, like, I can't. <laughs> I can't overemphasize, like, on so many levels what this place is. Like, I've invited you down here. Like, there, there are a couple people who came down. Who, like, the number of people who are coming through here. And, and the, 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 the quality of consciousness, and what I mean by that, that's both in terms of understanding of reality and understanding of oneself the quality of consciousness has been just unbelievable everyone different all these different people but the similarity is 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 this consciousness and and the the anchor is it's this location it's not the house it's what the house is upon i mean in the most literal sense the the foundation is built into the bedrock of the earth like you can see that in the basement of like how it's tied on. Like, I don't think they'd let you build like this anymore. Just cause, and. So you're, you're tapped I'm, into I'm the. For you to, I'm waiting for you to come down here and we record down here. 
Yes. I'm record. I like the number, like there, there are many shows which need to be recorded down here with different people. Like you, you'll, you'll begin to, you can't really, like what we said earlier in the beginning of this conversation and then I'll, and then I'll let it go. When I, when you said, well, what did you think about that picture of my apartment? I'm like, I guarantee that a picture can never capture what it actually is. Right. The truth. And that's what I say about where I'm sitting right now. And it's not the view. It's something else. But the view is spectacular. Yeah, I don't doubt it at all. Yeah, I just have to rent a car unless folks can show us some love on the PayPal and I can fix the transmission. Still got some ways to go before that's at some, I, possible, I guarantee at some, at some point, in some way, that, that'll be taken care of. And when you are down here, so I hope that, that you did not feel like I was putting pressure. No, like, no, get, no. Get, I get but it. What I am doing is saying, like, I think that this is something that is important and significant and would be well worth your time. Absolutely. That, I'm definitely saying. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and and I I see it on the horizon. I have no doubts Excellent. about that. I recently went to this and we can can wrap up after this unless you have more to to say, but I went to this crystal shop recently and they had a sign on the door that says absolutely do not wear a mask <laughs> or something to that effect. So, things are looking up. There are like-minded people more and more making themselves known and it seems like seems like we're we're out of this. I mean, your perspective in Baltimore I'm sure is is very different than than the average person. But you know what? Now that I think about it, I do have something else that I want to ask you. But but yeah, that was that was really that was really cool to see that. We went Tara and I have gone there twice in the past couple of weeks and uh, you know, we went there a couple of days ago and got a few little crystals to brighten up the home, brighten up our new home. And then, yeah, yeah, it was really cool to see that, you know. That sounds fantastic. Because when I saw the logo and didn't read the text, I was like, oh, God, another crystal store where these people are, you know. And I get it, you know, the small businesses, they're worried about it. But, yeah, these people are, are fearless and they have no reason to fear anymore because I'm pretty sure the, the laws are all on our side, at least for now. There we go. I love that. But is there anything more about Edgar Allan Poe that we can connect to? Because that was one thing that, you know. I never went into him. I know there's something very interesting about him. It's just, yeah, you know, it's just. Uh, Michael Hoffman mentioned that his, his play, he has a play that's specifically about the Freemasons. Have you heard of this? Mm, no. I, if. If it wasn't a Spanish title, I wouldn't, I would probably remember it better, but it, it's, it's a, it's something Esperando or something like that. And then, yeah, it's, it's a Spanish title, but it's supposedly, according to Michael Hoffman, the reason why Edgar Allan Poe really was killed. They, the story is that he died in some kind of, yeah. And, and Hoffman says that he thinks it was the Masons that killed him for writing this play that was in veiled terms sort of exposing their goings on whatever it was that they were trying to keep secret at that time i that from what i also gathered someone pointed out to me and i i, I haven't done my own research i'm just i'm just repeating what was told, what was told to me was his 
Well, first off, I, Edgar Allan Poe was the first person who, as an as a writer, who was able to support himself in the in the colonies just by people paying to read his stuff. Like almost like kind of like how we think of of if you had a Patreon account or something like that. He struck a chord with people, and it wasn't so much about his macabre writing, but it was more about about the way he sees reality. And once he died, his arch nemesis is who wrote his biography or wrote something about when the, the obituary in the paper. And that set the point of reference for how most people think of Edgar Allan Poe as this alcoholic, malcontent, always in these like very like deep despair. And apparently he wasn't that at all. That's not true at all. Though he did write he did write some dark stuff, but that, that is not a fair description of his character as a, as a person or how he carried himself. Right. And, and this was kind of fascinating to me because when Tara and I went to Philadelphia and met Ross Ben, where we had an Airbnb was like the only thing that was interesting in our little neighborhood was the Edgar Allan Poe, like former home of Edgar Allan Poe. And they former had home of Edgar Allan Poe. That's a pretty good fact. Yeah, in Philly, and they had this like sort of big cast iron raven or statue of a raven that I took a picture in front of. But the the book or poem that I was talking about is the cask of Amontillado. That's what I was. That's the Spanish word that I didn't remember. But I guess, according to Hoffman, this book has sort of references and symbolism from Freemasonry. Did he go any deeper as to what? No, he mentioned that towards the end of our conversation, and he gave me that sort of time window, and then he gave me some extra time, and and then I wrapped up the conversation after that. So, but you know, with the recent opportunity, maybe I'll have more more time to talk to him in the future. All right. But, anyways, so we'll figure out this internet situation. But folks can go to altmediaunited.com slash Susquehanna Alchemy to stay up to date with everything Mike is doing. Hopefully we'll get that URL redirected and it'll be really easy. I'll have to say. Fantastic. Yeah. But, but yeah, great episode, man. Thanks for being patient with the weird audio, Uh, you and, and everyone listening. I don't know. There's a lot of differences and nuances with this audio mixing stuff. So it's going to take me a little while to totally perfect it. And you know, this time of day, a lot of people are driving by too. So I don't know if, if you heard any car just driving by, but I'm a little, I was a little out of it because of that. Mark, I thought it was fantastic. No apologies necessary. Another great day, another great episode, and until our next one. Right on. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in to another episode of Your Handbook for the Apocalypse.